Well, sorry to end it there. Well, I never would have come up with the lyrics to the song and I never would have churned out a hit song like this. I don't have the lips or the hips. But this is my song, this is my story. The words of Keith Richards and Mick Jagger from the Rolling Stones ring true for us now, just as it did when it was written back in 1965. I can't get no satisfaction. I can't get no satisfaction because I try and I try and I try. I can't get no satisfaction. Like you, I can spend my life looking for satisfaction in presents at Christmas time, a particularly timely one right at this moment. My relationships, you can look for it in sex, money and power. We can look for it in houses, in cars and employment. We might even look for it in retirement or, for me at least, the dream of retirement to come. But ultimately, I know these things won't bring satisfaction and I'll just find myself dissatisfied again. You see, we find ourselves dissatisfied with presents at Christmas. It wasn't the latest iPhone, the latest new toy, the gadget, the clothing that I've been longing for. I'm dissatisfied in relationships. Life with my spouse, my family and my friends has just become ordinary and it's hard. It's not fun anymore. We're dissatisfied with the home we rent or own. And it's just not working for me anymore. It's not big enough. It's, or it's too big. Or it's in the wrong neighbourhood maybe. Or it won't fit the entire small group comfortably anymore. We're dissatisfied in, the, in our cars, in our sex life, the, powers, uh, the power that we hold at our job or even in our retirement. You get it, you've probably felt it. And if not, you're feeling it right now. And the advertising industry, not to mention, they tell us all the time that, they were, that we're not good enough and that we, we don't have enough stuff. We're not satisfied unless we have the next thing, and unless we look young and faultless, fit and fabulous, until we drive that latest car or have the biggest house in the best street in the best suburb. An interesting fact is that we each see about 10,000 advertising messages every single day. What's something you do 10,000 times in a day? Now, you won't recall all of these ads or even a significant portion, but the point is this, that we're constantly bombarded with messages, messages that promote dissatisfaction, because that's how advertising works. If you're satisfied with what you've got, then how can I sell you something else or something new? So Mick Jagger and Keith Richards were definitely on to something in 1965 with their words, I can't get no satisfaction because I try and I try and I try. And if we were to go on in that song, you would see the number of ways that they try for satisfaction. Today, as we jump into the passage at uh, Mark chapter 6, if we jump back earlier in chapter 6 to verse 7 and 8, this is the last time that Jesus and the disciples were together. Jesus was sending them out to the Galilean villages. He was sending them out in twos. They were on a mission. 
where Jesus gave the disciples authority over unclean spirits, where they travelled light and they had very few possessions. There was no bread, no bag, no money, completely dependent on God's provision for them. The disciples were on this mission, calling people to repent, casting out demons, and they were healing the sick, in verse 12 there. So today, as we pick up the narrative at verse 30, it's no surprise then that the disciples have so much to share with Jesus. They would have been super excited, wouldn't you think? They would have felt alive. They would have felt excited and glad to be called by Jesus. There'd be no second thoughts about returning to tax collecting or fishing. But they're probably also at the same time feeling frustrated They'd be frustrated that they can't share all what they've experienced on their mission trip because there's so many other people there that are coming and going, just getting in the way. So effective had their mission trip been that literally thousands of people were following them. And in verse 31, it tells us they didn't even have time to eat. They were kept so busy by people coming and going. So what does Jesus do here? Jesus has compassion. Jesus has compassion on them and says to them in verse 31, you follow along there, it says, come away by yourselves to a desolate place, meaning a quiet place, a place that's not busy, an oasis. It's like away from the Canberra Centre in Christmas week to the oasis of the Botanic Gardens. And he says, and rest a while. See, Jesus knows how physically and how emotionally exhausted they must have been. And like my two girls telling me an exciting story from school, how important it is for the disciples to share with Jesus the experiences they've had right now. It can't wait. I'm super excited by what's happened. Well, if we read on there, the crowd didn't get the memo. And as Jesus and the disciples sneak away in the boat, this crowd filled with lots of local knowledge knows exactly where Jesus and the disciples are going. And then in verse 33, we see the plan to escape to this solitude, this oasis, this place away from Canberra Centre in the middle of Christmas week, to peace and quiet, to enjoying time together with your closest friends is foiled. So how would you react in this situation? What would you say to Jesus as these people just relentlessly follow you and when all you want is a little me time with Jesus and your best mates? I think I would have suggested this. I think I would have said, hey Jesus, let's stay out here in the boat, away from the shore, let's catch up, catch some fish, spend some time enjoying each other's company, talking about where we've been, our travels, our experiences, what we've all been up to lately. Besides, I'm really, really tired after that mission trip. I'm exhausted. I can't face another thousand, two thousand, five thousand people getting in my face. 
But no, that's not how Jesus reacts at all. It's how Brock would react or what you might do, but instead Jesus goes ashore. And when he sees the great crowd in verse 34, it says he has compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Now you might have noticed a few Old Testament allusions here. Every time we keep encountering Christ, we see him fulfilling Old Testament prophecy. Jesus is the new Moses. Jesus is the new Joshua. He leads his people to rest in the wilderness. He is the good shepherd. Jesus is presented here as the good shepherd, the one who provides for all their needs so that they lack nothing. He provides for and he gathers a multitude to himself. And Jesus has amazing compassion. And as we continue in the passage, we see the crowd has this real hunger and this real thirst for more of Jesus. They want to hear more of his teaching. They were amazed and they just wanted more and more and more. And as it gets later in the day, though, the disciples, they're still no doubt exhausted. They make the suggestion to Jesus, hey, It's time these people should go now. It's getting late. They need to head back to the villages to grab something to eat. Verse 35 and 36. Now the disciples might have been feeling somewhat responsible for these people since all of these people had really followed them from their mission trip. But Jesus' answer to the disciples in verse 37 is, he says to them, you go give them something to eat. Why do they need to go away basically? And to which the disciples then reply, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? I can't help but wonder, this statement seems to have a bit of tongue-in-cheek in in there. A denarii, it's a day's wage for a labourer, and this is going to be 200 of them. And since the disciples hadn't been working for a while, and certainly if they had been working, they wouldn't sort of be carrying around jingling in their cloaks with all this cash on them, they just simply wouldn't have had that much. So it seems an impossible situation. And Jesus replies, and he's, he's very kind to them, very, very kind. And he says to the disciples in verse 38, he says, go and see how many loaves we have amongst the crowd. He's got a solution. Off the disciples go and return later and tell Jesus that there are five loaves and two fishes in verse 38. Now I'm thinking now, how's Jesus meant to feed a crowd of some 5,000 men? And a side note here, Mark only records the numbers of men. So with women and with children added on, there might have been 15,000 people with just five loaves and two fishes. And so from verse 39... Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. Now, not undeliberately reminiscent of Psalm 23, is it? He makes me lie down in green pastures. So the crowd sat down in groups, and they sat down in groups by hundreds and fifties. Again, continuing the Old Testament vibe coming through here, recalling the order of the Mosaic camp in the wilderness, 
And if you want to write a reference down to see that, it's Exodus 18, verse 21. Continuing in verse 39 here, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. In Judaism, it was a strict rule that nothing should be eaten without thanking God before and after the meal. So Jesus practices this uh, Jewish custom here, uh, but instead of looking down as was the normal practice, he looks up to heaven. Jesus here is showing a reliance on the Father for the extraordinary power that's necessary to meet the people's needs. Now, whether the loaves or the fishes were multiplied in Jesus' hands or the hands of the disciples, Mark doesn't give us this detail, but rather emphasises that their hunger was, what does it say, satisfied. Verse 42, they all ate and they were satisfied. Jesus gives them satisfied tummies. Not one person amongst thousands was left wanting more food. They ate their full. They were deeply satisfied. So only Jesus brings true satisfaction. And you see, Jesus is the one who brings the satisfaction to the crowd, not just physically but spiritually. He does it because he can and because he cares enough to do it. You know, the richest man in the world could probably stop world hunger, but he doesn't care to do it. Jesus has compassion on this crowd and on the crowd. He has compassion on me and he has compassion on you too. He and only he can satisfy us. And after all, Jesus shows his compassion in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He doesn't say, go sort yourself out first. He welcomes sinners in because he can and because he cares enough to do it. His compassion ultimately is shown for us when he dies on the cross as our substitute to pay the penalty of sin that we deserve to pay ourselves. Through his death once for all, the penalty of sin was paid. Death was defeated. Death had lost its sting. And we can now have this relationship with him, not separated by our sin anymore, but brought close by his death in our place. Jesus brought us or brings us into his new kingdom where the deepest of our needs is perfectly satisfied. Jesus has compassion on the crowd, on the disciples, on you, on me, because he can and because he cares enough to do so. He provides for his people in the wilderness, giving them rest, providing for their needs both spiritual and physical, leading his people as the good shepherd and gathering a multitude to himself. Only Jesus can bring true satisfaction. But what does that look like in my life, in your life? 
What is true satisfaction? What does it look like? First things first, you've got to decide who Jesus is. It begins with Jesus. True satisfaction begins by finding your joy and your hope in Christ as your Saviour. He is more than any faith healer. He's more than any religious person, more than any philanthropist ending world hunger. Jesus looks compassionately on you and on me like sheep without a shepherd. True satisfaction means finding our joy and our hope in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Now, true satisfaction then works itself out in my life. Over time, as the Spirit sanctifies me, making me more like Jesus. It results in living a life that is outwardly focused, generous and gracious. It changes my priorities. It makes, my priori- my, it makes God's priorities my priorities. It shapes my prayer. It makes me see the world with compassion and desire for the lost sheep of this world to find a shepherd. True satisfaction also changes my relationships. It changes my relationship with my wife, my kids, my family, you guys, the church community. It changes my attitude to money, to housing, to possessions, to my job, to even my retirement. True satisfaction is found in living every single teeny weeny little bit of my life to the glory of God by submitting my whole being, my thoughts, my words, my deeds to the Lordship of Jesus. You see, Jesus brings my true satisfaction because he can and because he cares enough to do it. Now you might be asking, why don't I have that true satisfaction? I hope this is not too sharp, but I think there's a few things that could happen. Maybe it's because we don't believe that Jesus can do something or that he even cares enough to do something. Maybe you're deficient in your belief, thinking that Jesus is holding something back from you. You distort what satisfaction is. For example, you might think, I should have that five-bedroom house, then all of my kids can have their own bedroom and we can have a spare We can easily, what we're doing there is misprioritizing, caring for the things that Jesus simply just doesn't care for. You know, Jesus promises in Matthew 5, in verse 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. There's that word again. For true satisfaction, we've got to go after the right thing. We should hunger and thirst for righteousness. And then in Isaiah 55, back in the Old Testament here, verse 1 and 2, we read the song that Mick Jagger and Keith Richards haven't written yet. The song that God's prophet can sing. And it says, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters And he who has no money, come, 
buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. God has compassion on us. We bring nothing. He provides all. Everything we need for our physical and nourishment for our soul. So my belief in who Jesus is assures me that Jesus has or can provide for my true satisfaction and that he cares enough for my true satisfaction and for your true satisfaction. And this affects our thoughts and our priorities. Like I said, about money, power, relationships, it affects everything. It places things in the right order underneath Jesus, not before him. And so as we finish today, let's just pray together that our priorities would be so transformed that we would be changed to be more like Jesus.